And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe spinning around the sun at 18 and a half miles per second. Where does the time go? Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight. That magical time between dusk and dawn when... Well, tonight we're going to talk about flying helicopters on Mars and much, much more. Oh, yes, yes, much, much more. Um, a little while ago, I was sent a sketch from uh, Joseph Farrell, and the uh, um, caption of his email was um, plagiarism. And I thought, oh, my God, who's accusing who now? You know, this kind of thing. So I open it up, and there he has this gorgeous image of ingenuity on Mars. And above it, he's got this sketch from Leonardo da Vinci, and they're almost identical. I mean, it's, it's eerie, it gave me chills. So I'm not sure that Kinthea will be able to put it up for the show. Uh, we might make it a um, like 2A because we have an item number two in my items where we actually have the imagery of flying the helicopter. So it might be a nice 2A um, if you can get in, you know, because we've had a lot of a lot of um, traffic, and sometimes when the traffic is terrific, uh, none of us can get in. So we have to always be careful that we don't, you know, kind of log out and try to log back in during a show because Radio with Pictures is increasingly popular, which, of course, is exactly the way it should be. Okay, let me let me touch on a couple of items before we get into the heart of our conversation. We have a full crew tonight. I will introduce them at the appropriate time. But let me go to news items because something has just happened that I wanted to make note of. In fact, I it happened two or three days ago, and I made a note in, a, in, in my notebook to, to make sure I led the news tonight with it. After over 100 years, the United States has officially recognized the Armenian Genocide. Um, Dr. Richard Spence and I, our resident historian, have talked about this a couple of times uh, during the Ottoman Empire, um, the literal genocide of the Armenians, and the whole turgid story is in that item number one with a lot of background. Turkey, of course, is furious at Biden for even calling it a genocide, but I think this is a harbinger of things to come. Again, more and more is falling out of the closet. And this has been a long time in coming. And I wanted to pay appropriate um, respect to it because remember, I told Rick that the first time I'd ever heard of the Armenian genocide was not in school, not in college. It was on an episode of the original Star Trek. Gene Roddenberry had put it in the script and he was um, in, inundated with with uh, uh, gratitude from the Armenian community, I believe there's one in Los Angeles, who were quite astonished that mainstream television, NBC, in 1968, um, 67, somewhere in that time frame, had actually made note of this as an historical atrocity that has never been recognized by us until now. And I'm just using that as kind of an indicator. There's a lot more interesting things going on. And as you'll hear during this program, we're going to talk about a couple of them that may surprise an awful lot of people. And we will put it on the record and we'll see whether this political prediction that I'm going to make during the show, in fact, comes true. We will see. Um, for those of you who are wondering what I'm talking about, what you want to do is go to theothersideofmidnight.com. That's our URL. Click on that, and that will take you to our homepage. The banner tonight at the very top says, uh, Flying on Mars, um, what about the atmosphere? And it has the entire EM imaging team listed there. Click on that banner. That will take you to tonight's guest page. Right under the banner there, you will see fast links to items. Richard, Ron, Timothy, and Ruggiero is also going to be posted there shortly. Uh, click on my items. That takes you just down a few 
uh, scroll lengths to Radio with Pictures. My items, number one, was our recognition of the Armenian genocide. Number two, as you may or may not have been aware, NASA succeeded this week twice. Uh, once on Sunday night, I, of course, stayed up all night after the show watching the uh, uh, what was going on, and it was rather entertaining and very intriguing, and and uh, you know, watching uh, Mimi uh, Ayung, who is the uh, uh, Ingenuity uh, program manager, you know, kind of go bonkers is really kind of fun. You know, I look at all these people, all these incredible blessed nerds, who are, of course, at the cutting edge of civilization. Anything that has benefited most other people has started out as a cockeyed, harebrained idea in some nerd's mind. And then through a random walk process of politics and finance and perseverance, that was intended, um, these ideas eventually make their way into society, into civilization. And they benefit so many people. And I'm looking at all this incredible enthusiasm among the Ingenuity team there at JPL. And I cannot square in my own mind the incongruity of their honest, unabashed enthusiasm, passion, and love for what they're doing, what what mastery of forces on another world over 100 million miles away they have pulled off again with this idea that they work for an agency which has for over half a century been dedicated to lying to the American taxpayer about a whole bunch of stuff. And it's so incongruous. I just cannot wrap my mind because it's obvious these people know nothing of the political chicanery going on above them at what we used to call the level of the suits. And their expressions of pure joy at making the impossible look almost easy. I mean, come on, flying an autonomous little helicopter on the planet Mars completely by digital remote control with no control from Earth. It's all done with the programming on board and a processor which is 100 times faster than anything NASA has ever put into space before. So it can correct the perturbations of the flight at something like 500 times per second. And all of this, the wonders of the digital universe and People like Bill Gates and Stephen Jobs and, you know, these icons of a world where because of the digitization of everything and the accessibility of everything, the truth, Mr. Mulder, is out there provided you have the proper filters to get through the screens and the distractions and the outright censorship to find it. So we're going to talk a bit tonight about Mars and the atmosphere and uh, flying on Mars and the absence of, of dust that came up uh, earlier in the week. You know, where was all the dust? Well, I have a dust video to show you, which is very, very revealing of perseverance launching of little ingenuity for the first flight on Mars of a self-propelled, self-controlled, uh, autonomous flight, helicopter flight. Anyway, uh, item number two, if you click on that, that's the actual, all the frames, something like <clears throat> 1,400, 1,500 frames put together, sized by a member of the um, <clears throat> Reddit Perseverance Citizen Scientist team. It's amazing how a lot of the, you know, fitting together of all this stuff is being done by amateurs and not by NASA. Anyway, this is a full-frame version of the of the flight of ingenuity, flight one, there's item number two in your copious spare time. Take a look because it is really, really remarkable when you think this is all being done with literally no control from Earth. I mean, with the time lag and speed of light, how could there be? Item number three, at the same time that NASA and JPL and the Perseverance mission we're making history with Ingenuity's first successful flight. 
they also activated another technological demonstration, which is the so-called MOXIE instrument, which stands for basically making oxygen on Mars. What you do is you use uh, electricity, which comes from the nuclear power source of Percy, and you run it through catalyzers, and you take the atmosphere of Mars, which is overwhelmingly carbon dioxide, and you split it apart, and you get rid of the carbon monoxide, and you're left with oxygen, and apparently this is producing on the order of several grams per hour, which would last an astronaut, you know, a couple, three hours. So um, the tech demo apparently was very successful. It's item number three. Go and take a, take a careful read, because this, of course, is the technology required to uh, uh, ultimately live a self-sustained colonization effort on the Red Planet. And I presume that a certain gentleman named Musk, who had another very successful uh, demonstration of SpaceX capability this week, um, you know that we have Crew 2 now, four more astronauts taken up by the um, uh, Falcon 9 rocket and the Dragon Endeavor spacecraft, both of which were recycled from the previous uh, Crew 1 mission uh, about a year ago. <clears throat> the booster flew and then flew back and landed on the drone ship in the um, um, Atlantic. And the spacecraft Endeavor was refurbished and flown again as the spacecraft to carry the second uh, NASA crew on a Crew Dragon mission to the International Space Station. And that all took place in the last couple, three days, lost a lot of sleep looking at all this stuff. Fortunately, there was nothing of, of shall we say, tremendous import to report. No problems, no cataclysms, no no issues. Um, again, it, it, it looks routine, but it's not, because spaceflight is not yet routine. But the work on the space station in preparation for the Artemis mission, and of course we mentioned last week that um, SpaceX and Elon Musk had received the contract from NASA to be part of the, uh, to be the lander on the moon development team. They're going to use Starship, which is supposed to fly again, uh, Starship uh, 15, in the next few days from uh, Texas. And we'll see whether the problems that have plagued the development very visibly uh, have been fixed. We're assured they have. Well, we will find out. And of course, I hearken back to the beginning of the space program when most of the imagery coming from Cape Canaveral, which in those days was film, good old motion picture film, 16 millimeter, shown either in briefings or on the news networks, <clears throat> on the evening news, uh, showed rockets going up and coming down and blowing up and spinning. And so people tend to have very short memories historically, and no one realizes what went into the development of the space flight we now take so much for granted. And yes, Musk and his team is an outlier, but they're pushing the envelope. They're definitely wanting to be an outlier. And so um, we may or may not see success in the next couple, three flights, but uh, eventually we know success will uh, will occur because there's a very, very large group of very, very bright and dedicated people. Let's hear it for the nerds again who are advancing the vanguard of civilization both on and off the world. So if you want to go now to item number four, <clears throat> this is again one of those uh, Reddit citizen scientists who took every frame, realized that the clock that the rate at which NASA had presented its video was wrong, probably by design. And so he put every frame together as a standard movie. So you see all the little motions of ingenuity as it's hovering there against the background ridge and sand dunes. And it's just kind of a thing of beauty to behold. And uh, for those of you who are really, really sharp eyed, you might want to take a look at the background during the video. There are things occurring in the background that, as we're going to talk about a little later, should not be there. And I think are harbingers of another Emily Dickinson moment where NASA's showing us stuff. They're just not telling us what they're showing us, hoping 
praying, wishing, maybe not, that we will figure it out. There's an awful lot of that going on. Anyway, item number five. Uh, Remember, while all this is going on on the surface of Mars, the Perseverance mission, the Ingenuity helicopter, uh, press conferences in the middle of the night, flying on another world for the first time in the modern era, the Chinese are upstairs in orbit, circling Mars every couple hours, waiting, waiting, waiting for what? Well, we may find out. I'm going to venture some ideas later in the show. I think I may have figured out part of the political puzzle, and if it comes true, it will be amazing, and it will also advance so many other things. Anyway, item number four. While they're waiting, um, they announced that they have named their Mars rover after a traditional Chinese fire god. And let me get the pronunciation correct here. It's Zurong. A traditional fire god. They announced this, uh, um, you know, a few hours ago, um, in you know, Beijing time. It was actually Friday our time, um, <clears throat> and they're planning to land sometime. We have heard in either May, uh, middle May, maybe late May. Um, the rover title, which uh, is, as I said, uh, named after a traditional fire god is in fact very much in keeping with the Chinese name for Mars itself, which is Ho Zing, or Fire Star. So there is a continuity there. I have a suspicion that uh, naming the rover after a Chinese fire god is an homage to, shall we say, kind of hidden history. Um, anyway, be that as it may. Um What I want to do now is I want to bring on uh, the rest of the gang who's here with us this morning, the Enterprise Mission Imaging Team. Uh, We've got uh, Ron Gerbron, who was our generalist. We're going to really test his generalism tonight because we're going to delve in part into the remarkable etymology. Etymology? No, no. Um, Itology? Uh, Philology. You know, that, that's what it is. In other words, the derivation of words and language and names and all that. Um, he's found a very interesting link between Elon Musk and things we are thinking about on the planet Mars. And we will kind of relate that a little later in the morning. Um, another member of our team here is Andrew Curry, who, of course, is our resident uh, artist. He is uh, uh, has a degree in fine art. He's been an art uh, uh, therapist. He's currently working as a designer and illustrator for major and minor companies built in Canada. And here in the United States, he works a lot with film and television in Hollywood and and um, has been doing really yeoman service uh, when it comes to the uh, uh, artistic aspects of these missions. Um, we have Ruggiero with us, uh, Carlos Ruggiero, who is from Britain who is a, um, um, a physical therapist who did a very interesting sketch of this femur that Curiosity rover found at um, Gale Crater many, a couple of three years ago and actually pointed out specifically point by point the connections of the ligaments and all that. It, and that, that thing is not you know, a piece of rock. But of course, if you have a human-sized femur, uh, I think it's a femur. I, I always forget whether it's a you know, femur or, or another leg bone. The fact is there had to be a body attached to it, and that implies a whole civilization of bodies. And we're going to kind of you know, talk about the implications of that uh, as we go through the morning. Uh, Keith Morgan is here. You know, uh, he is a creator, discoverer of the so-called Morgan Curve, which is this uh, loggy curve at Sidonia that connects the... Uh, series of massive pyramids and of course he's been looking at the perseverance imagery and um, he pointed out uh, last week that you don't land on another planet and take a white balanced image the cameras are basically attuned to see what's there and as you will hear later on this morning the um, first image we got first color image from perseverance had this extraordinary color view 
of Mars. And then everything went to hell in a handbasket, and the tapioca returned, and the butterscotch, and the weird green cast, and all of this. But the first images that came down revealed once again that Mars has, in fact, a blue sky. So why are people trying to change it in NASA? What's the game there? Well, we will we'll probably spend some time this morning talking about all that. So let me open my receiver here and welcome one and all. Have I forgotten anyone? Hello. Morning. Well, if they're not here, how could they speak up and say that you forgot them? That's an old joke. <laughs> Anyway, okay, so that, 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 that was Ron. Um, the first thing I wanted to get all your takes on was um, the the helicopter, because that is a very interesting uh, set of questions and imponderables. So who, who wants to start with the flight of ingenuity? Actually, two flights now. Well, I was looking at the uh, the video. But I'm trying to see if there's anything else moving out there because all the stuff that we usually get from these rovers is stills. And I think there's stuff out there that's actually moving that uh, they don't want us to see. So I was just kind of looking around the area to see if I saw anything moving. Anybody see anything move out there? Okay, we're hearing an echo. I don't know where that delay echo is coming from. Sorry, that was me. Oh, okay. I haven't seen anything yet, but I'm going to have to rewatch the video. What, okay. what type of things do you see moving, um, Keith? Is it, is it uh, well, it, it, it's kind of interesting that Keith should raise that question because that's exactly what we're going to talk about in another 10 minutes or so. So, Okay. okay. Anybody else? Um, can't say I've seen anything extra. Okay. Andrew? Well, I'm curious about that dust too, Richard. That was my thing. Um, it's amazing. I mean, everything you said about the technology is unbelievable. But it looks like a little flea on the landscape. It's just so unimpressive to me. But I, it, the, the technology is impressive. Don't get me wrong about that. But the uh, uh, the actual, I don't know. I, I'm Maybe I'm just not as blown away as everybody else at this point. Maybe I've seen too many drones at Christmas time handed out to kids. I don't know. Well, the fact that it's taking place where it is. So, all right, let me let me kind of get into it. If you go to item number six in my radio with pictures, which is right after item number five, which is the Chinese naming the rover after <clears throat> the Chinese fire god, item number six is a still that was the first color still image sent by Ingenuity to Perseverance and then uplinked um, to uh, the Deep Space Network and posted yesterday. It's from not the first flight. This is from the second flight that was conducted on Thursday. And if you look at that, you'll see a whole bunch of interesting stuff, um, not the least of which is the shadow of the little helicopter at the very bottom of the frame. And in the upper right-hand corner, there's a little sliver of sky, which, of course, is blue. And there's an awful lot of tracks running around. And it's, it's so interesting because when you saw this, Andrew, you had the immediate reaction that I had, which was... Yeah, it looks like foundations of an ancient structure, Richard. And, I mean, I sort of playfully said it's like a, an old Roman bathhouse, you know, with with um, sections and, and, and maybe even almost roundish, you know, uh, foundational sections, you know. Yeah, on the upper see... right-hand corner yeah. toward, the, toward the blue sky, which is tilted because this is a wide-angle lens. Um, um, there is definitely something. There's so much organization. Yes, exactly. And what's so... Amazing to me is you've got these guys looking at these photographs, and now there's aerials. There, of course, is MRO, the, the spacecraft, which has this super telescope that looks down, that takes pictures in color of Mars looking straight down. And all of this organization, and nobody makes mention of it. They just talk about rocks. Well, these rocks are square. They're rectangular. They're arrayed in linear progressions. They've got... They're arrayed at right angles. They're arrayed in patterns at right angles. 
there's so much organization. If I did not know that that photograph, number six, was taken hovering 16, 17 feet above Mars, I would think it was a drone flown by an archaeologist taking pictures of some place in Iraq or Pakistan or some desert where there was an ancient civilization and all that's left now <clears throat> are the few bare bones of the former foundations. Yeah, Richard, it does remind me actually of the um, excavations we see um, in London when uh, you know we've got the old Roman Roman baths, etc. And mm. they, you know they're broken and crumbled, but uh, they look represented in that way. And actually, some weeks back, I'd sent you an email with uh, the first Percy images that uh, there was like regular blocks, but they were going around in an arc. And uh, the first thing I noticed was like, hey, that kind of looks very similar to old Greek and Roman uh, ruins. My, so, my. Hmm. Ron, didn't you have a kind of a comparison? If we go to your images, which is the fast links under the uh, banner at the top of the guest page, click on Ron, that will take you to his um, items. I'm looking, I'm looking. Oh, there. Is this, is this the number... Number eight? Uh, I thought it was number six. Maybe something got moved around. Let's, no, six is, talking... six is the temple. I was, okay. I was expecting you I'm, would have I'm there. Uh, six. Oh, that, oh, six is that what that is, is the, uh, it's a simple channel frame. It's the luminance or the lightness uh, from a, I was splitting the picture analyzing it and i noticed that the black and white image you know you just that's all that is it's just a grayscale image of it um had a lot more detail visible you see how clearly it shows you know faces and whatever compared now, to the from, other ones well which which camera are we talking about uh this is the pan cam um you mean mass cam from what Mass cam, sorry, one of the mass cam panoramas. Ah, okay. okay. The, sa the same one that the other picture uh, right below it is from. Um, the um, I'm Hold on, Ron, aren't we talking foundations right now? Oh, foundations. Well, that's what I thought, and that's why. That's uh, sorry. I'm. That's why I asked him which one he meant because well, there, there should be a. There is eight one that says foundations, but it's not the comparison with ingenuity that I had thought. You, this is one of the structures that Kinthea had worked on for the president. Oh no, that was just something that was in the file. You were, I heard actually this came. You didn't even know I was there. You were trading emails with uh, Andrew last night, and I saw you were discussing ruins, and I thought, uh, oh, oh, well, I, I've I already put away. Okay. a picture that has exactly so, the kind of exa cross example they wanted. So that so, happens to be. Church lady, never mind. We'll go back to my item number six. So, okay. um, and if you click on it and kind of scroll around, you can really see, you know, like up in the midfield, there's that little rectilinear arrangement. They're all the same size. They're all in a line. There's a there's a right angle, and then there's another line at right angles. In other words, there's so much organization. It's like, what are they? Are they trying to to sell to us? And I, you know, anyway, that's that's one of the first things. Remember, my model has been that the reason they keep downplaying the helicopter and stressing how difficult it is and how tenuous it is and it looks like a toy is because and they keep saying it's doing no science, no science. It's like I think, as Shakespeare said, they do protest too much because look at that image. Look at number six. Look at how incredibly useful it would be if it acted as a scout for perseverance. If it flew even a thousand feet ahead, they're planning on the next couple of flights, I think uh, four or five, to fly it out over 3,000 feet away and then bring it back. I mean, the amount of aerial reconnaissance you can do if this thing can stay in the air more than you know a few seconds would be extraordinary. And the more they keep emphasizing, oh, it's not a scientific tool, the more suspicious I'm getting because, again, NASA has a track record. Remember, when I was first asked to join CBS and cover going to the moon, um, I kept hearing this uh, 
NASA means never a straight answer. And that was from seasoned professionals in the journalism craft back then. And, of course, they didn't know how much NASA had been hiding of what's really out there. So I just have a feeling that this little Ingenuity helicopter is playing a much more critical role than we have been, shall we say, um, uh, given, given privy to. And the more they downplay it, the more I'm thinking it has a real important role. Thoughts? Uh, well, you just said it. They trivialized it. And they keep doing it over and over and over again. It's it's like overselling. What was it? Tim, Tim Saunders is going to join us in the third hour. Tim said something about how it looked like it, it was clunky. And then, Andrew, you said that, well, that's all about packaging. And if you don't want someone to take something seriously, you make it look like a toy. Yeah, and that's what I meant. I, I'm not downplaying this technology. I mean, it's absolutely extraordinary. It's just it it's all made to look really <laughs> goofy. And I mean, this shot, your number six, Richard, you can even if people zoom in, you know, you can toggle it closer. Right. And you yep. can see in the corners it's it's rounded because of the lens, but you can see plainly laid out foundations. When this thing goes up, oh my goodness, we're going to get a panorama view of a cityscape so ancient. I mean, that's what sort of – well, anyways, yeah, that's the part that I agree with. It's like when this thing goes up, if it does and gets going, how are they going to cover this up? It's going to be so obvious. Well, the next flight is scheduled for tomorrow morning, pre-dawn again. Because remember, Mars rotates every 29, 24 hours, 39 minutes, and the Earth in 24 hours. So a rotation of Earth laps Mars, so the two clocks get out of synchronization. So as you go from day to day and week to week, the two clocks move apart. And so anybody on Mars time is going to be changing their rising and setting, which they've done for the first couple months of this mission. Um, so now the... Uh, flying will take place on Mars at something like uh, 7 or 8 uh, Eastern time, I believe, on Sunday. Uh, when we get off the air, there's going to be another flight. And then a few hours later, they'll dump all the data and they'll make an announcement. And there's supposed to be the, this one coming up, the one number three, is supposed to be like 50 meters, which is, you know, almost 200 feet uh, north and back and then land on the same little uh, area of ground they they've marked out as the safe helipad because there's not a lot of rocks there what i'm intrigued with on on this mission if you if if you look at our banner tonight which is the black and white nav camera on the and the, on the bottom of that little rectangular mylar covered box of electronics camera looking straight down that does the navigating and lets them kind of move around the terrain and get back to home plate and home base and whatever the helicopter is caught as a shadow with the sun directly above ingenuity and the blades are really, really sharp. If you look at the shadow of ingenuity on the color frame, the blades obviously are in motion and the shutter speed was much lower. And I'm wondering why, because the, the light sensitivity between color cameras and black and white cameras is nil you know, state-of-the-art now, all cameras are basically amazing. So why was the shutter speed so slow, allowing you to see the literal motion of the blades on the color image? Anybody got any ideas? Not me. Not a one. Hmm. Okay. Um... Maybe when Tim joins us, he'll have some thoughts. He he said he did have some thoughts on the helicopter. So let's move on to my number six. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Wait, yeah, wait Richard, ahead. before you go, uh, you mentioned something in one of our exchanges this week about the width of the Perseverance track and how – and I, I I want you to bring this, this up to the people because people might be going, oh, come on, it's just rocks buried. No, this stuff is – 
human size, like it, a, a human being could walk in these areas quite comfortably. Can you explain the, the width of the tracks yeah, and how that... You, you can obviously see Perseverance tracks there, the little ribbed, darker areas of the ground where the dust is lifted up and, you know, the under what's under the dust is revealed. Uh, the width of the tires, the width of the wheels is 16 inches. I spent a lot of time looking this up, and it's not easy. The the specifications on the on the Curiosity wheels was readily available, but finding the the parameters of the Perseverance wheels, other than they had been changed, and the aluminum had made been made thicker, and the um, little uh, groove not the grooves the uh, what, what would you call those th the flanges uh, on the surface of the of the wheels, uh, which are wavy. Uh, have been designed to resist rocks better and to dig into sand better and all that. Um, it was really hard to finally come up with a number. And the only reason I came up with it is because Emily Lakadawala, who used to be the uh, planetary gal from the Planetary Society and wrote amazing pieces, very well researched. Uh, of course, she thinks our stuff is all nuts. But that doesn't um, stop me from citing her when she posted on Perseverance the parameters nobody else had posted, including the width of the wheels on Percy is 16 inches. Now, the, the spacing between the wheels, which is the width of the rover itself, is 9 feet. So given those two parameters, look at the tire tracks, look at how they get smaller into the distance, and Perseverance is just above the frame the copter tipped a little bit. That's why we see the shadow. So it didn't get quite to the horizon. So I presume that they will correct that in their autonomous programming for the next flight on um, Sunday. And we'll get Perseverance as seen from Ingenuity. Um, but anyway, you can see the amount of area is covered. And then given the fact that you got 16-inch and 9-foot scaling, this is the foundation's of human size structures on Mars. And it blows me away that no one's talking about it officially in NASA. It's like they're obviously oblivious to the incredible organization. Remember, this is supposed to be the bottom of a lake with you know rapid turbidity currents and inflows of water coming from the highlands and a, a drainage area on the other side of the crater 30 miles wide. <clears throat> so the currents, if all the stuff we're seeing there is, is caused by, you know, currents moving rocks around, or even if it's just volcanoes or meteor impacts throwing secondary ejecta, why are they all lined up? And why are they all roughly the same size? Doesn't anybody but us out here in the peanut gallery notice that NASA's sitting in the middle of an ancient buried city. Uh, Rich, uh, sorry to bother you, but uh, we kind of blew by the break coming See, up. See, nobody's watching. <laughs> it's okay. Nobody's watching. <laughs> well, so we're, um, we're interested in this, so we're kind of paying attention, and I was yeah. engrossed in it. Yeah, so. I was too. <laughs> I'd say leave the break out. Don't worry about the Oh, box. no, 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 no. We'll, 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 we'll pick it up at the top of the hour. Anyway, going to number seven. This problem of flying on Mars gets back to how can you fly on a planet? Yeah, you know, the, the gravity is one-third. But the real problem with flying is the atmosphere. It's aerodynamics. It's, you know, Bernoulli's principles. It's all the aerodynamic stuff that we've been taught, you know, from high school on. And to do any flying with a wing or a prop or a helicopter blade, you've got to have sufficient atmosphere. And, of course, NASA has gone to great lengths to tell us that the atmosphere on Mars is equivalent to 100,000 feet over the Earth. So here again is a side-by-side -side comparison in number seven in my radio with pictures showing on the left a uh, Daredevil uh, Red Bull-sponsored pilot who a few years ago jumped out of a balloon at 70-some thousand feet. On the right is the first color wide-angle hazard cam image from Perseverance. After the landing, you'll notice the image on the right, the Percy image, the wonderful blue sky, the reddish soil, 
the various rocks, the shadow of perseverance, because it was late afternoon when they actually landed. The image on the left, that's the one taken at 73,000 feet. Notice the sky is black, pitch black. That little tiny band of blue hugging the Earth's horizon as Baumgartner, the, the, the daredevil pilot, is about to jump out and free fall, you know, 70,000 feet before he pops a parachute. And he gets a speed going of something like 600 miles an hour because the lack of air resistance, free fall or terminal velocity in the lower atmosphere is around 150, 180 miles an hour. So you can tell there's not much air at that altitude if you can free fall at 600 miles an hour, which is exceeding the speed of sound at sea level. That's just straight down, and he was tumbling and twisting, and drogue shoots, you know, had to stabilize him. All these problems comparing stratosphere on Earth with surface on Mars, something does not compute. And I know we can look at numbers and cite statistics and engineering measurements and, you know, NASA's data on occultations and all this till the cows come home. How do you get around the idea that on the surface of Mars, the atmosphere looks, just looks like it's on the surface of the Earth at 15 pounds per square inch, not one one hundredth the air at 100,000 feet over the Earth? Again, anybody have thoughts on this? How do we reconcile this? Richard, I don't have any thoughts on this the science of um, of the, the colouring you're seeing, but I will make a little statement uh, that came to my mind about the, uh, the the Percy image, and that is that if I'm talking about consistencies, so um, with regards to the colour, so if you're looking at the colour of the worlds and say, well, what, what's their you know, consistent colour on Earth and then the colour of all the rocks, and then you look at the sky, it, it means that um, with like the filtering, that's like a, a true, true image, you know, because uh, often we see the, the sky is orange, obviously on Mars, and now it's blue. So my point would, would be to anyone who's uh, like not scientifically minded is like, well, why, why is it so blue? And why is everything so consistent? Um, do you get my point? Mm-hmm. Um, well, look at item number eight, because I want to get into this now. Um, number eight is a raw set of frames put together by, again, uh, NASA, Caltech, JPL. Mm-hmm. And what they did was they they did a, a, um, a negative. That's why at the bottom of the frame, they're freeze-framed the way YouTube does it. Uh, you see that little white geometry. That's um, ingenuity before it lifted off. And this is, this is a side-by-side comparison. And you click on it, and you'll see left and right. Um, the left image is totally devoid of color and it's devoid of luminance. It's basically almost black and white. The image on the right is the natural color, which has been enhanced by this technique to show the dust when ingenuity lifts off, hovers, and then settles back down. Yeah. And you can see, um, you run it several times, it lifts off, it hovers, it comes back down. When it lifts off, there's a wonderful puff of dust, which you can see now Now it's doing it again. Um, the dust is not uniform. It seems to be stratified. From to my eye, it, it's whirling in little vortices, the way convection currents in deserts on Earth cause dust to rise. It doesn't rise laminarly, in other words, as a uniform um, layer, it rises in these convection little mini tornadoes that uh, are only similar in terms of name. They're nowhere near the velocities. And you can see the incredibly contrast-stretched image on the left compared to the uh, color image on the right, which is the color that they send these back in. You'll notice that this blue sky has gone away now, yeah, but fun. there is this this interesting um, ringing, this this regular geometry in the sky, mm-hmm. again, looking away from the sun, 
which I think is an artifact of the dome that comes out um, kind of inadvertently when you enhance the the uh, the image, and uh, it stopped again. Let me let me run it again. Okay, for me, um, I guess from two weeks ago, Holger he was uh, saying more on the lines of um, these things are uh, just like the background noise that you'd see um, from the from the camera. Yeah, it, 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 it doesn't make it, any sense to see what you. It, you know. it, it it makes no sense because we're not talking about very very low light levels, mm. where the computer has to kind of pull up, you know, a few photons to make an image. We're talking broad daylight, on a planet where the sunlight is basically uh, equivalent to a bright bright cloudy day on Earth because of the increasing distance from the sun. You know, the sun has a lot of light to play with, so. There should be no ringing. There should be no um, uh, digital distortion uh, step functions. And on the left side of the comparative frame, you can see this ellipticity really well. It mirrors, as you're going to hear when Tim joins us, the reconstructed geometry of the lower parts of the dome that uh, Mr. Saunders has been working on now for the past couple, three weeks. But there's something else I want you to focus on. Don't look just at the dust. Uh, Ron, I think you had something you wanted to say on this. Don't look just on at the, the dust. Go ahead. Yeah, on the dust. Yeah, the uh, I'm. Are you absolutely sure that you've got a hundred percent? I'm not saying otherwise. Uh, the of the veracity of that uh, that video that's black and white on the one side and, um, you know, the color one on the other one uh, mm -hmm. that um, shows that this, because those currents, the, there isn't enough, according to them, there isn't enough air there to suspend the dust that way. Exactly. And I, I asked, I mean, I am not, you know, the world's greatest expert on that anyway. Uh, no, seriously on um, atmospherics, but it there's a threshold below which nothing's going to happen. I mean, you know, think of the moon photos. Uh, you know, the dust just falls, thud. And right. so I don't know how it's getting pushed around. You know, you in order to have the wind pushing the dust around, um, there has to be a little more of it. Plus, it's laminated. You can see the laminations. You know, and that's not just caused by the rotor blades. And that means that there are temperature differentials. Exactly. It seems, to me, it seems to me that at 1% of Earth's uh, sea level atmosphere, that wouldn't be dense enough for the con uh, the convection you'd need to get the heat up to the next layer. You know, you wouldn't you, create if, the laminations in it. If you look at the right-hand image, the background is twinkling. It's scintillating. It's yes. shimmering, which, of course, is accentuated to the max with the very pushed, highly enhanced version on the left in black and white, which not only shows the dust, but it shows these laminations, these whirling vortices, the fact that you've got a wind blowing from the left rather smartly, the fact that you've got the little helicopter responding to the wind, correcting for being blown off course as it's constantly looking at that camera image straight down and comparing it with its map so we can get back to landing exactly where it took off. All of this, particularly if you look at the details on the left, you'll see little blinking bright spots and they they they, they appear and disappear. But they say again? Oh, Kenthea's not muted. Oh, so sorry. I thought you were talking to me. Okay. Anyway, you can see that the the bright spots in, in the version on the left where you pushed, uh, actually JPL has pushed the contrast to the max, they appear and disappear in the same location, which means it's not noise. It's the scintillation of specular reflections from objects on the surface. We'll call them rocks for the time being. And they, they move in and out as the air currents, the convective motions, are causing the various objects to be refracted 
and distorted when you look at it through a reasonably dense atmosphere. I mean, we got all this circumstantial evidence that the atmosphere of Mars is at least 10 times denser at the level of the Lowellian uh, perceptions of what Mars' atmosphere was like back in the 1890s and the early 1900s with very primitive telescopic technology. Then, of course, we had the flyby of Mariner 4 from NASA in 1965 of Mars, and then we had the canonical pronouncements, oh, the Martian atmosphere is one one hundredth as dense. All the subsequent missions have reinforced that. They've carried meteorological instruments, which have dutifully said it's one one hundredth, one one hundredth. And yet when you look at all of this data from the brightness of the sky, the color of the sky, which comes from not dust, but from molecules, turns out that most molecules as gases are about the same size, so they scatter blue light. So planetary atmospheres, if you can see them, if they're dense enough to be seen, from Venus out to Pluto, they all are blue if they're caused by molecular scattering. Uh, Richard? Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead, Tim. Oh, Ruggiero, that's... Yeah, it's a simple yeah. question, which might... I might be able to shed some light on the atmosphere here. So, regards to the density and the dust and then the lift of the the vehicle, I was thinking if someone can do the maths on the the size of the blades, then the weight of the object, and then the available lift, because there needs to be a consistency. And if there's not, you wouldn't get the lift of the object uh, with blades that size if the atmosphere was not dense enough. Hmm. You get, get the point? So you need yeah, but they... if the atmosphere was really you know what what it's described as you would make, I think you'd need bigger blades for for that object to take off. Hmm. Well, all of that should be available as part of you know NASA's um, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for um, you know technical specifications. The mm-hmm. problem is when you match what they claim uh, we're seeing with what we're actually seeing, they're not the same. Yeah, that's what I'm like. That's what I mean. That's my point. So how do well, how 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 do we, you know, reconcile this? Well they're not <laughs> telling us the truth. <laughs> Once again. Yeah. Richard, you know, you made a point that uh actually reinforces the model that I have that you don't like which is that they have just been kind of stuck with that minimal gas um, model since the beginning because somebody wrote it down that way. And it was easier just to finesse around it. I know that you hate that. It doesn't sound like science. I I do not buy that for a microsecond. You know why? Well, then what about the color of the sky? Why would they bother to go through all that fuss about the uh, trying to convince everybody that the sky there is red? To the point that there have been movies where they spent excessive amounts of money on beautiful matte paintings to show how red the sky would be on Mars when they knew better from well, simple I, science. I, Andrew, this is where I need to call upon your expertise, okay? Because I believe it has to do with the idea in branding, marketing, advertising, you know, appealing to mass audiences. There are two things you can do. You can create a program that will make something irresistible so everybody runs out and buys it, right? Yeah. And your same psyops, the same psychological branding and, you know, uh, careful creativity can go in to making something look so disagreeable that nobody wants to buy it. It's like the old, the old expression, um, will, the, will, 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 will the dog like the dog food? And in politics, you know, that's a standard cliché, that the dog doesn't like the dog food, meaning does not like the candidate because he or she is being marketed wrong. NASA for 50 years, Andrew, has marketed Mars as the Elton John, not the kind of place to raise your kids. Visually, in terms of what they've said about it, in terms of stressing that it's, you know, you can't breathe the air, you would die of asphyxiation, et cetera, et cetera. 
So the, it, it's been the entire broad front program has been aimed at us to make Mars look, feel, taste, smell, and by rumor appear totally uninhabitable. Yeah, and uninviting. It's just always, I mean, Holger's images of Viking, that was stunning <laughs> from, from two weeks ago. No, I'm serious. It, yeah. Look, one of the things here, Richard, I wanted to add to this. When um, Ingenuity lands, that dust pops out uh, to the right again from some sort of prevailing consistent breeze that is continuous the entire time this thing is floating, not floating, hovering in the air. And one more thing about, uh, which just shows that this is, like literally, if you were standing on that landscape, you'd feel a light breeze. Well, it'd be on your spacesuit but you know what i mean you you you, if you could take your spacesuit off and if you could handle the atmosphere it'd be on your face right you could feel it a, a little afternoon breeze but the other thing about that background unless there's something wrong with with this camera that deep background like we go from a, a you know like the ridge line being pretty sharp you know like there's a consistency right from the perseverance's camera right out to that first ridge and the whole background like the mountainous background at the, at the crater rim literally looks like it's we're seeing it through plastic like it's it's either a really dense atmosphere back there mm-hmm. or there's something else or it's a glass yes it remains yes. Yeah. yeah i i i would vote for the scattering of glass let me point you to number 9 before we have a break here don't want to blow past the second break click on number 9 this is a desert showing what scintillation atmospheric convection currents mirage-producing environments, uh, you know, high heat in the desert, colder air, stratification, vortices. Just click on that and then go back to item number eight and click on that, and you'll see Mars is behaving much more like an Earth-type atmosphere, meaning it's uh, not the density of Earth's atmosphere, but it's maybe one-tenth which would be like up in the Andes or at the top of the Rockies or whatever, because the atmosphere doesn't go, you know, down linearly as you go up in altitude. There's a thing called a scale height. So it's 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 much more Earth-like. It's it's Lowellian. It's one of Andrew's favorite references. It's Barsoom. It's Edgar Rice Burroughs kind of atmosphere. It's the kind of atmosphere on a planet which is old and tired and has lost a lot but still has something left. And you look at these comparisons, you know, in the ingenuity imagery showing the dust. I mean, they had to do some image processing. But what I found was interesting is that, you know, various people were complaining when they saw the first video that there was no dust. And then lo and behold, NASA comes out with this enhanced version themselves showing the dust and again, if they had were faking it, why would they fake an image of enhanced dust where the dust is behaving like dust behaves on the Earth as opposed to on their synthetic 50 years plus polished branding of a desolate and uninhabitable Mars? The things do not fit together. Okay, we're not going to miss our break now. You're on the other side of midnight. My guest this morning, to numerous dimension, just go to the homepage of uh, the other side of midnight for tonight's guest, the guest page. Scroll down. You'll see their bios there. <clears throat> Ron and Keith and Kintia and Ruggiero and Andrew and uh, Tim Saunders is joining us at the top of the third hour. You are on the other side of midnight. And yes, that is the sound of Lawrence of Arabia, which has a stunning scintillation heat rising over the desert scene uh you might want to take a look at that you're on the other side of midnight my name is richard c hoagland we shall return to mars Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available 
to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.